the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 430 for December 30th, Sunday, 2012. Welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab, the show where you send in your questions, you send in your tips, you send in cool stuff found. We share your tips, we share cool stuff found, we answer your questions, we share some stuff we've come up with on our own, and together, the concept is, we all want to learn a little bit something new each and every time we come here to meet every week. Here in very, very snowy winter wonderland, Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. (laughs) And here... In uh, less of a snowy, icy wonderland uh, in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. I have a beautiful view out my window. We uh, we got about 12 inches the other day, and uh, and that's all still on the ground. And then probably about six inches of really fluffy stuff last night that's just sort of, you know, blanketed everything. And uh, ah, it looks awesome. I love it. Absolutely love it. It's not fun to shovel, although the stuff from last night's not terrible. It's re- like the like I said, it's really fluffy, so easy enough. Oh, I minimize shoveling. Do you chemicals? Well, I mean, you gotta. Yeah, I mean, you gotta do some little shoveling. Get the decks and stuff. I like I like calcium chloride myself. So there's also magnesium chloride and of course uh, sodium. Sodium, right? Any chloride. of the, any of the salts? Many of the salts. Yeah, but I believe the calcium uh, is the one that has the lowest um, uh, resets the melt point. Uh, lower than the others. Yeah. Yeah. You just got to make sure that if you have pets around that you're using something that's not going to totally oh. like, scorch their paws. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. So we, and it also eats away at your, at your driveway and all that stuff. So you got to, you know, use it judiciously. Um, I have a couple of, uh, I have a couple of tales of, 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 well, I won't call them woe, uh, but, a couple of tales of success with iDevices, John, the, the first of which, um, so my son and, and longtime listeners will remember that, that my son who joined us on the show, Lucas, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, he's the one that has had uh, uh, various problems with the iPods that, uh, that he's owned. His iPod Touch 4 was the one that he, uh, something weird happened with it, probably water damage, although that was never confirmed. Um, and then he broke the screen on it. Well, he's got this iPod Touch 5 that he actually came on the show and talked about. And uh, let's see, today's Sunday. So Friday evening, 6 or 7 p.m., he picks it up off the counter. He had gotten a new case for it. And uh, apparently this new case is very, very slippery. And he picks it up off the counter and the thing shot out of his hand like a fish and like a fish went straight for the dog bowl. Right. I mean, we've got one dog water bowl throughout our entire house and it went like beeline straight into the thing and totally submerged. It's like, you know, it's two months old and he's like, oh, dude. And so the, the whole family like jumped into action. He pulled it out of the water. He handed it to me. I already had a towel in my hand. I like flipped the case off of it, dried it off. Meanwhile, Lisa was pouring rice into a Ziploc bag and we dumped the phone in the rice and, and kind of, you know, shook it around a little bit and then let it sit for, um, until this morning, right before we came and recorded the show. And, but you know, we wanted to mess with it so bad, but we also knew, you know, gotta dry it out, gotta dry it out. And, um, and, but 
late Friday night uh, before he went to bed, I, I had him pull up his iPhone and we looked and find my iPhone to see if his iPod touch came online. Right. You know, if the Wi-Fi was still active because we didn't do anything. We didn't want to touch any buttons or anything when we put it in the rice because that's what you're supposed to do. And uh, and sure enough, it came up, you know, it was it was it, it showed up on the map and said it had been found and all that good stuff. And we thought, OK, good. And um, so this morning when we got up, we wanted to give it 24 hours in rice, which meant we weren't going to mess with it till this morning. And uh, we took it out and kind of shook the rice out of the, uh, you know, the lightning connector and the headphone jack and, and all of that. And it totally, at least at this point, works 100 percent flawlessly. There's no notable issues. And I even look, the water sensor is still white, which is great. So the lesson is if you drop your eye device in. Uh, in in water. Get it out as fast as you can put it in rice. And there's actually, I have some, I got to dig these out and put them in strategic places. But uh, there was a company that sent me some like bags of silica gel or something that you were you know, supposed to do this with. So you're not using rice because it's all dusty or whatever, but, uh, but get them in there and leave them in for 24 hours. Just let, let that, you know, whatever it is, rice or silica gel or whatever, just absorb all the moisture out. And you got to, you want a Ziploc bag because you want the bag to be sealed so that the rice is, is, you know, absorbing all the water that's in the device, but good news, you know, that, uh, so far it seems to be working fine. He dodged another bullet, that kid. You with me, John? I'm with you, brother. All right. Well, that's good. Um, in show 429, which would have been the previous show to this one, we talked, John, about how Google is doing away with its exchange, uh, syncing stuff. Right. And, uh, and I pos- I wondered, I, you know, pondered how, what are we going to do? You know, certainly we want to be able to connect to these things from our iDevices and all of that. Well, on Christmas Day, Lisa got her, uh, her iPad mini and we restored it from her backup of her previous, actually first gen iPad, which is what she was using prior. And so we... Um, you know, I, I restored it, and, and but some of the stuff in her calendar wasn't appearing. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's right. I got to go into the, the, you know, the Google thing, even though it's connected via the exchange, because that's how that, you know, backup was was set up. I got to go in and tell it this new device has access to her calendars, because otherwise it just gives her access to her main calendar. And you go to go to m.google.com slash sync. Well, when you go there, you can't edit anything anymore. Whatever settings you had previously set for your existing devices are fine. But if you get a new device, no luck. There is no way, or if you want to change settings or if you add a calendar and you want to go and add it to your old existing devices, no luck. Can't do it with the exchange thing anymore, at least not that I found. So I got to learn what the real process is. And it's actually much better. You, um, we removed the exchange, you know, calendar sync thing from her. We went in and we set it up as a Gmail account and i've since done this on all of my devices just uh you know even though i didn't have to uh, although i've got another story to tell that i did have to but um but i went in and i set it up as gmail and uh and then once you've got that set up <clears throat> pardon me you uh you can set up mail calendars or notes from gmail and uh and the best part about it is it just sees all of your calendars. You don't have to, um, you, you go in, 
let's see, there, there was a weird thing that we had to do. And I want to walk through that because though it was easier, it, you set everything up for all of your devices. Now you don't have to do it uh, one by one. So you go to um, google.com slash sync, just regular google.com slash sync. And, uh, and you go to calendar at the bottom of the screen and you say sync with a mobile device. And, and this is where it'll kind of walk you through all of your stuff. And I'm trying to find it now and their website is coming up really funky, but, uh, but essentially, you know, you just set it up as Gmail. I turned off mail because I don't want to get my, I don't want to get that mail. I use a different Google account for, for my calendar. And so I turned off calendars or I turned on calendars. I turned off mail and notes and that's that doesn't seem like there's a way to get contacts uh, that I, at least not this way, but, um, but otherwise it's been, uh, it's been working great. So, but let's see what they, what they say. If we want to sync contacts with a mobile device, I'm not, uh, their their help system is messed up this morning. So I haven't done contacts yet, but uh but for the calendars it's it's much simpler. You just go in and do it and and you don't have to go and configure it for all of your devices or individual devices or anything like that anymore. You just sync it up and go. So you're probably gonna have to do that too, right, John? Because you're using the exchange thing on your on your iPhone. Mm-hmm. So now you've got to go back in and set it up as Gmail. No more exchange, my friend. Oh, wait, I thought it would continue working. It, it was already working. It will, unless you need to make any changes to it. And, uh, the, right. and there's no, interf- the, the interface to make those changes is no longer accessible. Or, Which is, you know, but that's their thing. But it's, but it's totally fine. Um, and yeah, we've got, uh, in fact, this is a great opportunity to say hello to everybody that has joined us at com slash stream in our chat room. But uh, so John Linthicum in the chat room says Google says you have to use CalDAV, which I believe is what's happening when you sign in as Gmail. I believe it's using CalDAV there, which is uh, which is a standard. And that's what iCloud uses and MobileMe used prior to that. And it works great. So, Any thoughts, my friend? Nope. Everything's working so far. That's good. I, um, my, one of my second tales of woe, we were, well, the tale of woe is that we were at the mall the day after Christmas. I'm not, I'm still not sure what bit of wisdom compelled us to, to travel to the mall the day after Christmas. But in any event, we were there, the kids had some gift certificates they wanted to burn up. And as we were leaving, I, uh, I had, you know, I had my hand in my pocket on my iPhone and we were walking past the Apple store. And it hit me. I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. The volume up button on my iPhone 5 is it's always been just janky. You know, it's just funky. It doesn't feel right. It works, but it doesn't feel right. And so I thought, oh, I wonder if I can get them to swap it out. So as I'm walking, you know, kind of across the mall hallway, I pulled up the app, uh, the Apple Store app and uh, made an appointment for, you know, 10 minutes later uh, because they had a slot open. I thought, perfect. And I went in and checked it and they said, oh, it looks we've got you on the schedule in 10 minutes. I said, yeah, I know. And, uh, and then I went and shot an iCloud backup, you know, I topped off my iCloud backup. It had done it that previous night when I plugged it in, but I did my iCloud backup on their Wi-Fi in there. Guy came out, took a look at the phone. He said, yep, the button's janky. 
He swapped out the phone. He said, do you have a backup? I said, yep, just topped it off. So he came out, swapped out the phone. And uh, it, the whole process took all of about 20 minutes uh, start to finish. And that includes the 10 minutes of waiting. And now I have a new iPhone. So. Worked great. And I did the restore right there in the store. And uh, always good. One thing I will point out about this, though. I have a lot of apps on my iPhone. I started the restore because I had to do the restore over iCloud because that's where the latest copy of my data was. But if you've ever done this, what happens if you do the restore from iCloud is it then downloads all of your apps from the app store, which obviously uses bandwidth, but also takes a lot of time because it's, it's coming down from the, the app store. And I thought, man, I really would love, you know, now that I've got the backup down from iCloud, I would love to just have it load the apps from iTunes now that I'm home and the thing's still downloading and it's going to, it was going to download for a day. I have, you know, cause I have a ton of stuff that I test or whatever. And so I plugged it into iTunes and, uh, and hit sync and it magically kind of took over. And instead of downloading the apps from the store, it just, you know, loaded them directly from, uh, from iTunes. So let that be a yet another lesson that you can, you can write in the middle of the, you gotta, you gotta let it do the main restore, but the, the process is twofold, right? When you, when you do a restore, it pulls the data down. This is true. If you do it from iTunes or from iCloud puts the data on reboots, the phone then shows you all your apps with little empty progress bars until it can load those, but it doesn't care how it loads those. So if you sync with iTunes, it'll just take over and boom, plow them on there. So all's good in the end, but then I had to go and do the, the Google thing on my iPhone too. Time to go to Francis, John. Indeed. All right. Uh, so Francis writes, he has an interesting problem. He says, uh, Hey guys, I've been having a problem where I add tracks to iTunes by either by ripping them from a CD or by importing them, uh, by dragging them in. And though iTunes seems to process them fine, it does not show up in my iTunes library right away. Sometimes it doesn't ever show up and sometimes they show up in a batch. And he sent us a link to a discussion thread uh, at Apple's discussion boards that indicates that he's not alone. And it's true. You're not alone, Francis. I've, I've heard of this. I haven't seen this problem, but I've heard of it. Um, there's a couple of things though. I mean, it, you know, it seems consistent. The consistent thing that I'm seeing is that many people are able to see the songs eventually, right? So you put them in and they go into like limbo land and then something happens and suddenly they appear in your iTunes library. So uh, that to me screams that there's a cache happening that that's getting in the way uh, and maybe corrupted and not processing the way it should be. So, I I went on a I went on a cache hunt, John. Not 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 a not a geocache hunt, but a computer cache hunt. And uh I found the cache in home library caches in a folder called com.apple.itunes. And uh anything in theory, anything in a folder named caches, a system organized folder named caches should be able to be deleted with no problems whatsoever because that is a cache. It is not data that is unique. It is just data that is being uh, cached so that it can, the app can be more efficient. 
So I would quit iTunes and I would actually quit all of your apps because who knows what else is using this iTunes cache. Uh, go to that folder, home, library, caches, delete the com.apple.itunes folder, and then restart your Mac. You probably don't need to. You could probably just relaunch iTunes. But again, we don't know what else is using this iTunes cache. Safer to just start from scratch. Uh, reboot your Mac once it comes back up. Start up iTunes. And uh, that would be that would be one way to to fix this. Um, I've heard of other people fixing it by going through the iTunes library rebuild process, uh, which would probably wipe out this cache and, and start it from scratch. But that's not entirely a fun process. So I would I would try this cache thing first. Any thoughts on that, my friend? One thing. Yeah. So first I found an article iTunes how to recreate your iTunes library and playlists. Yep. I wonder if that would apply here. Yep. I, yeah. That's when I say rebuild it. That's that's what I yep. That's it. Now, the other thing that occurred to me, Dave, so two things. So one, I think another tool that may help out with this um, is Onyx. There, there is a, a portion of Onyx that will clear out all the system caches. And I think what it's doing is basically deleting those cache uh, directories for you. And as you pointed out, um, you know, a cache is something that helps an app operate faster with data that it doesn't need to download again. But sometimes that can get screwed up so yeah, da- download or even or even create right i mean a cache can be used if an app has to go through an arduous process to create some bit of data the cache can be a nice place to store that so it doesn't have to go through the arduous process again and the other thing that occurred to me i wonder if this setting would affect this so if you go into itunes preferences advanced and there's checkbox copy files to itunes media folder when adding to library I wonder if changing that setting would have affected this because I, I read up, a, you can read the help on this, but basically I think what happens is that, yeah, if you don't have that check, then it'll leave whatever files you uh, import where they are and right. link to them versus copying them and possibly caching them. So I wonder mm. if having a, yeah, maybe. I mean, it, it, it's, that's a different, I mean, it, it, that's not really a cache at that point. Uh, right, because it's actually copying the entire file just into your iTunes media folder. Right, right. But I wonder if it's staging it at some if point. It, yeah, the other exactly. thing, yeah. now the nice thing about this is that um, you can change the behavior of what happens when you drag something into iTunes, uh, either through this checkbox or the other thing that they suggest is that if you hold down the option key when you're bringing, when you're copying stuff into iTunes, it will change the behavior from whatever that box is it does the opposite that's right yep right so just another thought there to uh you know something to consider about your your strategy for where you want to store your stuff if you want to yeah keep it where it is or bring it into uh the itunes uh media folder mm-hmm. um that your your option key trick is something i had to remember the other day john for uh for christmas santa brought us uh an, a third gen apple tv and it's something we've you know, not ever really obsessed about getting simply because we started with the TiVo uh, before the Apple TV existed. And, um, and we've figured out a way to stream all our movies that we store on the disc station. And I don't like the idea of storing all of my movies in my iTunes library because I don't, I, I want them on the disc station. I don't want them on my iMac, but, uh, 
but we wanted to try streaming a movie from the disc station, you know, to the, to the Apple TV. And it looked great. It, in many ways, it looked better and, and the sound was better than we would get from the TiVo. But I had to do the option key trick because I didn't want to copy it to my iMac. I just wanted to, you know, put it in the library so that I could then access that library from the Apple TV. I wish I could, you know, honestly, I wish the Apple TV was jailbreakable so I could put Plex or something on there and just point it directly at the disk station and, and let it see that library natively. But, you know, Apple doesn't uh, doesn't see it that way. They want me to put it all in iTunes, but you know, that's not convenient for me, but the Apple TV is cool. The, the whole uh, screen sharing thing, you know, the screen mirroring from your iPad or, uh, or your, your laptop. It's pretty awesome to be able to, you know, be sitting in the living room and say, Hey, check out this thing on YouTube and just put it up on the screen. So that part of it's cool. Rocking, rocking. You want to talk, talk about, uh, you want to help Russell out here, John? Uh, I think I tried and I failed, but we'll, we'll go through it. Maybe okay. You have something. Okay. I think he responded. So Russell says, or writes, I have a problem that has persisted for about six months. When I attempt to repair permissions on the boot drive of my iMac, 24 inch, 2007, uh, four gigs of Ram running 10.8.2. I get an error. POSIX reports, no child process. Eee. I've tried running disutility from the recovery partition and from the terminal. The error is followed by permission repair completed. Uh, I've scanned the drive with Drive Genius, which found no hardware problems. I have also scanned for viruses with Norton, installed the latest combo updater, and reinstalled the OS from Apple through the recovery partition. It seems that the process of permission repair encounters a file structure that causes an error, but the error message is unhelpful as to the identity or location of the offending files or files. Any idea to how, how I might solve this? And I offered one idea, and then I think you offered a follow-up idea. So my reply was, it sounds like there's some subtle damage to the file structure. Or maybe not. <laughs> well, yeah, subtle. <laughs> Since it seems everything else is working. Since you have Drive Genius, uh, one thing you may want to try is the rebuild option. So he tried a number of things, but he didn't try rebuild. And I've actually had this help me in the past, is that the uh, Drive Genius rebuild option will detect... The reason I mention is because I've seen it detect damage that other uh, tools do not, and that while it's doing the rebuild, or I guess, you know, the pre pre flight before the rebuild, it'll say, Oh yeah, this is screwed up. This doesn't match. That doesn't match. I'm, I'm going to rebuild that for you. Not that it really has much to do with permissions, but I figured it, it couldn't hurt in that the damage may be there causing this weird error. Um, so that was, that was my choice. And, uh, but he wrote back and said that, uh, that didn't seem to do it. Huh? Uh, and you say I had a great idea about this, John. Is that right? Because <laughs> you did. Well, I thought you were sick. Or maybe maybe it was for another question. But okay. I, I think you may have suggested, you know, the, our, our pal FSCK. It's mm. always a nice, nice tool to, uh, though, though I don't know if it uh, it does more than uh, disutility does. Yeah, no, it, it often does less. I don't I don't remember having any any grand thoughts on this one. Um it, uh, you know, the permissions repair, though, it, it, you know, I think you're right. It, if that's failing, that's indicative of something deeper. Um, perhaps FSCK from the single user mode would would help. But I, I think your thought of um, Drive Genius the, with the rebuild is, is that's what I would do. I, I, you know, but he said it didn't work. huh? That's not good. Yeah, I mean, lacking that, if you you know, if, if if 
all of the things that you tried, which sound like pretty much every tool that, that, that I know of, I think what you got to do is, uh, you know, there's just some damage there that can't be fixed. Sometimes that happens. So I would, you know, suggest doing a, uh, you know, full clone clone reformat and, and come back around. Yeah. I don't think there's everybody back. Yeah. I don't think there's hardware damage. I would continue to use that drive, but, but it sounds, yeah, I agree with you, John, a reformat, uh, not the funnest process, but, uh, but not, but not very difficult either. Right. Like you said, John, the real trick is make sure you clone that drive first. Otherwise when you format it, all the data is gone for good and that's bad. You know, almost I in cases like that, I like to have two backups because the clone, while a backup is now the only source of that data. Right. You know, you clone it. And then if you format that first drive, the clone is now your only source of data. And I hate having the whole concept of backups is to have more than one copy of your data. And if you are intentionally going to wipe out one of your copies, you need to start with three copies of your data. That's um, that's just me being safe. God, I, you know, it's I, I used to obsess about backups, what, 20 years ago. Now I really do because our, our whole lives are stored on these things. So it's it's just so important, um, I think, to to make sure you've got backups of this stuff. It It's so painful when when we lose data or, you know, even even I mean, even if it's not data that that is gone forever, if it's stuff you have to recreate, even that, you know, it's just it's so painful. So that's my, that's my plea for this morning. Wouldn't you, would you agree, John? Multiple backup. backups. Yeah. And then make a backup of the backup. Well, yeah, that's the, that's the trick. All right. Uh, I'm going to, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm curious, John, if you, this, this is yet another one of those questions that, uh, that I don't have a great answer for. Adrian says, uh, my older iMac is running lion and, I'm having some serious problems and I need to wipe the disk. I don't have any data on it that I don't have elsewhere. So data recovery is not a problem. I booted uh, to the recovery partition and nuked the startup disk and reformatted it as a blank hard drive. The problem is that it doesn't seem to want to download a new copy of lion anymore. I don't have a copy on disk. Can I somehow download a copy of lion on another Mac, burn it to disk and then insert it into my iMac? Um, Yes, I do mean that the iMac has lion not mountain lion. So, uh, I, yeah, the, the app store does not have lion as a download anymore. Um, so you can't if, going through normal channels. You aren't going to find it on the store. You may find it. If you do some Googling, you may find it. If you BitTorrent uh, the, the, the copy, or you might be able to go to the Mac, uh, to the, to the Apple store rather, and ask at the genius bar. they, they may well have a copy of this that they can put back on there for you. However, I will make another plea. Lion is horrible. It was one of the, like from a troubleshooting standpoint, we had personally had and heard about from all of you more trouble with OS 10 lion than any OS that other, it was like the windows M E of, of the Apple world. I, I just, I, I think you're going to run into more problems again and the 30 bucks or whatever it is to upgrade to mountain lion. I, I don't see, and maybe there's a specific reason why you shouldn't uh, upgrade to mountain lion, Adrian, but in a general sense, I, I, there's just no reason not to completely get past lion 
I had Lion on this computer here that I podcast on for two weeks. I ran Snow Leopard and then I thought, well, okay, let me try Lion. But I know Mountain Lions. I think Mountain Lion was even out at the time or about to come out. And uh, I had it on here for two weeks. It was the worst two weeks ever. It was just ridiculous how bad things were. And then when I put Mountain Lion on, all those problems went away. So there's my there's my plea. Perhaps instead of spending all the time trying to download Lion from BitTorrent, just go get Mountain Lion and your life may be better in the end anyway. Mr. Braun. I have a solution if you really want to get Lion. Now, one reason. I thought right, you, so I thought you might. Gonna, yeah, that's good. Well, I did find something. So it's, it's, it's not easy. Like, for example, I have my podcast machine has Lion on it. I know. And actually, Lion is still listed in the app store. But if I try to download it, it, it comes up with an error because I think it's there, but it's really not there. Right. Comes up and says, like, error 13, try later. Because I think they, they yanked it, even though it appears in my list of, of purchases. But uh, this th- discussion thread that I found suggests that if you are running a machine. So one, the reason that you may want to run Lion versus something else is your machine is, is too old. It can't run Mountain Lion. So um, but from, from what I read here, if you do call Apple and uh, go through the right channels, uh, you can order it and get a code that will then let you download it uh, from uh-huh. the App Store. Oh. So yeah, if you look at this discussion thread, that seems to be the only ways that you call their uh, phone support. Yep. So you can't do it through the app store. I think that's a that's a given that that will not or, or you can't initiate the purchase. I think you have to call them and then then they give you a magic code. OK. OK, that makes sense. Yeah. And that's what it says. Now, the other things you could, you know, go to the gray market. You, you know, they did offer it on a USB stick. And, you know, I poked around and, you know, people who were trying to sell those were selling them for some outrageous amount of money. So. Or just for fun, whenever, uh, you know, we, we've given this to, you know, whenever you, you do download an OS, um, you know, pull out that, uh, you know, the disk image file from the package and, and burn it to a disk, which I, I do. I've I've done pretty much since they started coming out with the app store because I like to have the option of having a, a the OS on a on a DVD. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, being proactive about it for sure. So maybe, you know, John's got a copy. Go visit John. I think I do actually. Yeah, I'm sure I, I do I, too actually. I I I keep all that stuff in an archive out on the uh, on the disk station which we were uh, which I was talking about before. All right. But me, wait a minute. So you still run Lion on your podcast machine, and this is the one mm-hmm. that locks up sporadically and has packet loss and all of this other stuff, right? Yep, yep, yep. Okay, yep. just just pointing out some facts. That's all. I'm not. I'm not. I, I may want to move forward. The only reason is that I like to have something running the prior OS uh, in parallels case our, our users. Um, you know, I should set it up in a VM. That's right. Yeah. I can do that. You with can the, the right li- hand wave. Lion. No, no. With lion and later. So lion and mountain lion. You don't even need the hand wave. Um, it it okay. just works in parallels in VMware. If you want to run snow leopard, Google is your friend. And that's all uh, we, we will say about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. It, Google is your friend with VMware Go- parallels. There is no workaround with VMware. I believe that workaround still exists out there. You just got to kind of. You got to jack with it and I don't have a link, but, um, but Google is your friend. All right. Uh, let's see. So speaking of wacky things, Seth has, uh, Seth has a new router. He says, uh, or has a client. He says, I have a client who has four older Macs running 
10.6. One machine is the server and the other three need to connect to the server to run the office software. The server machine just runs OS 10, not OS 10 server. Recently, their router went on the blink. I replaced the old Linksys with a new Asus router. While the old router with the with the old router, each machine was able to connect to the server easily and quickly. Since installing the new router, each machine can still connect, but it takes over 60 seconds for the connection to complete using the AFP protocol. Both the old and new router are configured exactly the same way. There's nothing special in the setup. They both set to assign addresses with DHCP with no reservations made. Once connected, the network speed is totally fine. I tried Google and Apple support forums, but no solutions were forthcoming. I tried deleting the global preferences P list as mentioned in one support article, but to no avail. Some other items I read that can cause issues don't seem relevant here. IPv6 is set to off and the DNS server is set to the DSL modem. I know you guys will have the solution. Well, perhaps it's odd uh, for sure. And I say that in a good way, right? Because if I said, oh, yeah, that's totally expected behavior, then you're out of luck. Right. But the fact that it's odd is good because it means that there's probably a way to make it work. Um, it sounds like DHCP is working fine. I'm going to assume that. But but the way to test that is to unplug your Ethernet cable, uh, open up uh, system preferences network. Right. And, and click on Ethernet, unplug your Ethernet cable, make sure everything goes blank and then plug it back in and make sure it comes up very, very, very quickly. Uh, it should be within less than probably less than two seconds, but certainly less than five. You should get, uh, you know, your, your IP address and subnet mask and router and all that stuff should appear. That's the way to tell that DHCP, which is the thing that assigns your computer its address. That's the way to tell that that's working properly. But I think that is for you. I don't think that's your problem, but it's just good to, to confirm. And it's good for all of us to know how to confirm. Um, the next thing to test and I think your problem is related to DNS or um, domain name system, but we'll, well, let me explain. So the first thing to check is that DNS works in a general sense. So the best way to do that, open up Safari and go to a web page that you are fairly certain no one ha- on the network at all, including on the computer that you're testing from, has visited. It should come up as quickly as it normally would, uh, but that will confirm that DNS is working from the router via the service provider and to the computer and that that whole thing works. Assuming that's a yes as well. And I think it is uh, because you're not doing anything special there. Then it seems like the issue is delays with specifically with the, the AFP, the Apple file protocol uh, networking connection. And it might be a DNS delay. In fact, I I still think it is. Uh, If you're, connecting by name to the other computer. And because of the way this new router handles things, it is first looking to external DNS. So let's say, and I'll use my uh, setup here as an example. I have three iMacs. I have iMac and I named them iMac studio, iMac office, iMac house. I can connect to them by their names. And I just, I, you know, I can go into the AFP thing. I can go to, you know, in the finder, go menu, connect to server, type in iMac office and it finds it immediately. But that's not uh, because of some magic between the computers. 
It's because my router knows that that computer is called iMac office because that's how that router works. When that iMac identifies itself for DHCP, it gives its name and the router says, I'll remember your name and assign it to your IP address. If your new router does not do that, then what's going to happen. Uh, and again, I'll use my setup. If I go to iMac office, it's going to ask the Internet domain name servers. What is iMac office? And they're probably not going to know because there's no dot com. There's no anything. It's just iMac office. This is not a fully qualified address and it's going to time out. And it seems like after it would time out, then maybe the computers will uh, fall back to the Bonjour networking protocol, which is this whole thing where they do sort of do some magic between each other and find each other and off they go. And it sounds to me like that's exactly what's happening here for you. A way to check and work around that is to put in the IP address of the other computer. So go to, in my case, go to the iMac office, go to system preferences network, check the IP address. And then instead of in, you know, back to the original computer, instead of saying, you know, AFP colon slash slash iMac office, you type in AFP colon slash slash you know, whatever the IP address is, 10.0.0.25. If that connects immediately, then you know for certain that you have some issue with, uh, with DNS. May just be a function of how this router works. And in that case, maybe you do want to set manual IP addresses, or maybe there is something you can do in this router to set it. iMac office goes here and, you know, whatever, um, but but it sounds like that's the issue. And if, again, the easy workaround is to set DHCP reservations, manual IP addresses for everybody, and then just connect the computers with IPs and don't worry about domain names. So that's my thought. Mr. Braun. That's a good thought. I like it. I was I was pretty happy with it. You going to poke holes in place? it or are you going to add to it? Oh, no, I'm just going to add a little bit here. Right, but, cool. but I think you, you pretty much got it here. Yeah, I would concur that that's that it's a, a name lookup issue. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the one thing to keep in mind, AFP operates, uh, you know, it's no longer proprietary. It operates over TCP IP like anything else. The, the only thing I'll mention here is that uh, AFP runs over, I think typically ports 548 and 427. So the only thing is, I don't know why, but, you know, would the router have any uh, <clears throat> reason to get upset about using those ports or not? And, you know, right. Just something to check since it is using a different port uh, for file sharing than, uh, than some other protocols. Uh, the place to go though, I think, and yeah, this, uh, uh, if in the finder you go to the go menu, there's a, a or there's a connect to server option. Yep. Um, command K and you can go there. And like I already look and now I have a favorites here. And actually <laughs> the one favorite I have is the uh, podcasting machine. So I have AFP colon slash slash one, seven, two dot one, six dot one dot 200 slash podcast. I'm, I'm addressing it by, by IP rather than name. So, so this would be the place to, you know, try that. Yep. Try that trick is, you know, input it with the name and then input it with, with, with the IP. Cause I found, yeah, that, I mean, the IP goes straight, straight to the, the source. No translation. So I think I'm with you on that. That's uh Yeah, and, and that is one thing that will be different from router to router is how they deal with, you know, whatever. It, what, what we're talking about here in terms of the name is you can go in in system preferences, network, 
click on, say, Ethernet, if that's how you're connecting, go to advanced and you'll see uh, on that first TCP IP tab, it says DHCP client ID. That can not always, but can be used by the router as an identifier for other machines to find you. It's not mandatory that it does this. I don't even know that it's part of the spec. It probably is like in a footnote somewhere. Uh, I could be entirely wrong about that because I'm just speculating. So don't don't shoot the messenger here. Don't don't shoot the speculator. Uh, But uh, but I have seen routers do this, but not all routers do it. So that if that's how you were connecting uh, and this Asus router chooses not to or is not built to to build a table of those and assign them to IP addresses or relate them to IP addresses, then it's just not going to work. So that, yeah, that's it. I, I'm, I'm almost certain that that's going to solve your problem, Seth. I hope so. Yeah. And, well, and I think then, it was stated that DHCP reservations are not being used. That's right. That's what he said. Yeah. But if you're going to use if you're going to change and just have everybody access the other machines by IP address, then you do want to use DHCP reservations so that, you know, the IP address isn't going to change. Yeah, and at least with the Apple product and most others, I would think there are two ways to to reserve. One is by, as you stated, client ID, and the other is MAC address. Uh, yeah, client ID is is something I have not seen on most uh, non Apple routers. Uh, most of the time, it's just MAC address for uh, for the reservations. Yeah. Well, I guess the the reason is is you could have somebody you know, do something dumb and, and assign the same client ID to two different computers. Whereas assigning the same Mac addresses is, is a little harder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You've got to go out of your way to screw that up. That's right. Yeah. If you screw that up, you're on your own. So I prefer Mac address. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's weird. which uh, actually I was wrestling with that. So I, I, so I finally, uh, you know, replaced my time capsule and, yep. uh, and I also, I had a, uh, little trauma on my uh, work machine. So I brought it home over the weekend. And uh, so I was adding it to my base station and, uh, you know, so set it up, set up a DHCP reservation, tried to log into it. You know, it's a nice new Dell with 802.11n and all that. And it said, oh, I can't, can't connect to it. I'm like, what a piece of junk. And then I realized, oh, wait, that, that's my problem. Well, I blame Windows and I blame myself. I blame Windows because Windows didn't, uh, the, the reason it couldn't connect is because I had not put it in the approved uh, Mac address list. Oh, that's right. You do, you do security by Mac address. I, fr- I was and that I restrict and that I restrict. So I do DHCP reservations, but I also restrict my Mac address. Now, yes, I know it's not foolproof, but it's a way to, uh, you know, slow people down and keep them from getting into, uh, you know, into your base is that they have to have or guess the right Mac address. Though in this case, even though I had it as a DHCP reservation, it wasn't in the list of permitted ones, but the windows, what, whatever, program was trying to connect didn't realize this and i'm almost positive that if you do this on a mac it's going to say oh well you know i was going to let you connect but your mac address is not in the list of of the cool kids so i'm not going to let you connect that's here really it just funny said, here so- it just said failed uh, whereas I, I would think there'd be a message coming back from the base saying i i can't talk to you because you're not on the list of people that i'm supposed to talk to yeah, but, but it that's just not said, how that yep, works. i failed yeah that's right yeah but that's weird. I think it sends so some can... sort of reject message. So while during the negotiation, it should have said at one point, well, no, your Mac address doesn't isn't on my list. So go away. But yeah, but wouldn't that, wouldn't that in and of itself be a security hole? Right. Because if you tell if someone's trying to hack in and your router sends a message saying I could let you in if you were on this secret list that I have, 
you know, now uh, it's no longer security by obscurity, right? They, you've now told the potential hacker exactly what they have to do to target and, and thwart this. So, so perhaps there's a, that's the reason they Mm. don't do that. Yeah. Well, the other thing I do is that I don't broadcast the SSID. So you need that piece and then you right. need that. Yeah, yeah, you could get all the pieces. So, yeah. So that's it was know. just it was just annoying because it, it, it yeah, as it turned out, it was my fault. But for a while, I, I you know, I thought it was a problem on the, on the, the Windows machine and it wasn't. Right. What's interesting to me is that you were able to set up a static lease without it telling you, hey, you should also add this MAC address to your allowed list because otherwise it's not going to work that that I see is a, a flaw on this was the time capsule. Is that right? Correct. Yes, that's a very good point. Yeah. I mean, it, it should, especially from Apple, I would expect them to say, hey, you, you sure you don't want to add them to the to the allowed list? Because otherwise what you're doing here is a waste of time. Mm-hmm. That's my, you know, it should it, it, I, I, I rely on Apple to keep me from doing stupid things. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, I, I call them all the time, ask them like how to cook a turkey and, you know, you don't want to burn this and, and that. That's just what they're, that's what they're, that's the purpose they serve in my life, John. Mm-hmm. Splendid. <laughs> yes, that's right. All right. Uh, why don't you help us with, with uh, Lewis or Louie? I'm not sure of the pronunciation. Well, it looks like Lewis. Yeah, all right. I'll say Lewis. Right. Okay. Hi guys. Well, I'm about no, to he's, receive... from Mont- he's from Montreal. So we could be going with the French uh, uh, pronunciation there. But anyway, yeah. the question is most important. All right. Hi guys. I'm about to receive my new iMac 27 inch and would like to start fresh. I don't mind spending the time. I've been migrating everything for a long time. I think it's time for a clean slate. My plan is number one, create a new user account using my current account name. Number two, install the software I need. Number three, migrate my current user data to my new account. Uh, Is this the simplest way to start fresh? Can I migrate my data to my new account or do I need to migrate just my current account and data and then install the software? And my reply was as follows. So first, there is an article that Apple has talking about the migration assistant. And the nice thing is that the migration assistant, I think it may have been in the past, but it is no longer. So in the past, uh, I think it was all or nothing. Now it offers you uh, different uh, levels of what you would like to migrate and of the things that it offers. So, you know, and it shows you screenshots and all that. There are a number of choices. There are users, applications, and settings. So of the things he should choose, well, I would say one applications is out because you're going to be installing those fresh. And I think I'd skip the settings as well, Dave. I don't think that you're going to be losing a lot if you don't migrate the settings. Uh, I think we just. Yeah, just like that's like a system. It's computer name and network settings and, and things like that is, uh, I believe, what we're talking about. We're talking about system wide settings because all the other mm-hmm. settings come with users. Right. That's sort of that blanket you know, all your app settings and prefs and everything come with users. Um, yeah. So I would, I would choose the users category and yep. then it will list the, the various users on that machine and then just, just bring everything over. Yeah. Um, I don't think it really matters if you do that before or after you install the apps. I would probably say, well, I don't know Would I do it. Would I do the migration before or after hmm. before or after setting up a user? No, uh, before or after installing the apps. So the decision we made here is that you want to migrate the data over after installing all your apps or before. Well, okay. So the, it riddled me this. Um, and, and 
I'm going to show some ignorance here about this because I've only ever done it one way. I've only ever brought stuff in, I think. And of course now I'm second guessing myself, but uh, I, I think I've only ever brought stuff in without a user account existing. So having migration assistant actually create the new user account on, on the Mac, can you migrate data in to an existing account? I don't think you can, but I could be very, very wrong on that. Do you know my friend? Um, I'm pretty sure you can. Okay. So I can have a user account set up with some data in there and then use migration assistant to pull more data into that same user account, not into a separate user account. That just seems, it seems like a bad idea to me because you're going to be wiping out or, or mingling data that may not be meant to mingle. And maybe I'm overthinking this. Maybe it's totally fine. And everybody is sitting at home going, Oh, Dave totally bungled this one. And that's fine. But um, I, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm either, I'm, I'm curious and I'm either missing the boat or not, but I, I, I've never done it that way. Well, let's see. Trying to run it now. Oh, I, I love this. All right. So we got a, we got a real live test going on. Uh, oh, no, no, no. Okay. No, I can't do this live. Okay. <laughs> That's too bad. Well, no, my time, uh, no, I'm not restoring from a, uh, it's not seeing my drive. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to start doing this now here. Uh, yeah. Right, right, right. I understand. Yeah. Okay. So I, yeah, see, I thought you had to, I thought my feeling is to answer your question, but my gut feeling is that you're better off doing migration assistant before you do anything else. So Get everything you can with my or everything you want with migration assistant and then be done with it and then start setting things up. Yeah, I mean, the article here says, you know, the instructions refer to migration assistant and setup assistant. Setup assistant opens the first time you start the Mac. And then it says here, if you don't use setup assistant to transfer information when you first set up your new Mac, you can do it later using migration assistant as described below. Right. So that's what leads me to believe that you can. Well, you can, but, but, the, but the question is, are you, I mean, I've done that. I've run migration assistant manually, but I've always had it create, if I'm pulling in user data, I've had it create a new user account with the migrated data, right? I haven't pulled it into an existing user account. And uh, I, like, I, like I said, just because it, it doesn't feel like a smart thing to do, but like, but I may be overthinking this. I don't know. Yeah, uh, we're getting a, a note in the chat room here that says uh, uh, from Luciano Silva's that says migration assistant would moan that you have the same account name and will want you to change the username. So, yeah, it's going to put the stuff into a new user account, um, according to Luciano's experience. And that makes sense to me. You really don't want to have migration assistant just kind of brute force mingling your your data together. You want to you want to be a part of that process, I think. Very, very deeply so. So I would do migration assistant first with whatever you're going to use and then and then be done with it. All right. All right. Moving on to JP. Anyway. Uh, 
Are we are we done with yeah. the movie? Yeah. Okay. No, I think we are. Okay. Cool. Uh JP says, uh, I just nuke and paved my Mac Pro to get rid of the circle with a slash warning at startup. It worked, but now it's back. Probably as I was copying back some prefs or library files. I have no idea what, though. I see lots of folks have this trouble online, but no one has an answer. I wonder if you did. Um, so what JP is talking about is when you start up your Mac, it begins to start up and then you uh, get the circle with the slash through it. And essentially what that's telling us is I can't boot the system. Something went terribly wrong with the very, very kind of initial setup of, of OS 10 really with, you know, with the, uh, the, the, the overused phrase, the, the Unix underpinnings of it. It's something went wrong there. And, uh, and I'm sure JP is right. It's probably something he copied back in either some extension or, or something that's just cratering it. Unfortunately, that message, a circle with a slash through it, is not specific at all. Uh, but you can get it more specific, I think. If you reboot and as soon as you hear the chime, hold down command and V for verbose mode. Essentially what that does is it takes that beautiful kind of pristine gray screen away and lets you see all of the uh, what I'll call Unix gobbledygook flowing by on your screen but you also get to see where it stops and that may give you an indication as to what's going on. Um, it's not going to be overly verbose in terms of explaining exactly um, what you're seeing there, but it should be pretty specific. Uh, if you look at the very last line, so it, you know, it, it flows from uh, top to bottom and then it starts scrolling off the top of the screen. But the very last line is the most recent thing that happened. So this, the line closest to the bottom of your screen. And it probably will say something like tried to load, you know, this extension. It'll give you the full path of it. And then it'll say failed. And uh, and so that should give you an indication. Now, you've got to boot with another disk or boot if you can into single user mode. You may or may not be able to even do that. But uh, but boot with something, you know, mount that drive in some way and then either remove that extension or replace it with the right one or um, but that that's that's the way to start that troubleshooting process is is command V will get that that pretty screen out of the way and you can see things go. You can use command V anytime you want. You don't have to just do it when you're troubleshooting. If you like seeing all that go, just hold down command V and you'll see it go. And then uh, as it gets to the point where it would then start loading either the login screen or the finder, then it'll go graphical and, and you'll see what you want to see. So it can be, it can be fun if you're, well, if you're geeks like us. And I'm going to offer a couple of things, Dave. Yeah, go. All right. And it's funny because actually our own uh, Jeff uh, had, had an issue with his machine not starting up. So suggested a couple of things. I'm not sure how far he got, but one thing you want to try is uh, the startup manager. And when you boot it, and to get the startup manager, uh, let's see, I got the article here, and I think it's option. It's always option, right? Yeah, option, okay. So when you boot your machine, if you hold down the option key, rather than booting, I guess, the last device that it felt was good to boot from, it'll give you, it'll show you all devices that are eligible for booting. And they could be hard drives, could be external media, could be maybe even a network volume, if you're into that sort of thing. So I'd be curious what shows up there. Now, if the device that you want does not show up, then then you're in trouble. Then then it's hosed. If if you do see it, 
then I think it may be partially hosed. <laughs> yeah. 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 My guess is he'll see it there because it, you know, it's trying to, well, maybe it's not trying to boot from it. That's a good, that's a good point, John. It, it may not even be trying to boot from it. Yeah. And the other thing to try, which I think Jeff did try, and then even weirder things happen. But you also, depending on what type of Mac you have, well, if you have a Mac that has a FireWire port, then you can start up the machine in target disk mode, and it may, basically makes your Mac into a very expensive FireWire drive. <laughs> that's, that's true. Yeah. And then if you have another machine, then hook, you know, plug it in, and it should show up as a FireWire drive like any other drive, and then you could you know, scan it for, for uh, oddness then. So those are always for Buddha problems. Two, two things that, that I always try is startup manager and target disk mode. Yeah. But yeah, that's a, that's a good one. All right. Uh, you want to tell us about, uh, let's do, let's do one more question, John. Why don't we do Darren's question? And then, uh, Oh man. Well, we just Darren's talked about awesome, right? We just talked about Macs that wouldn't start up. Now let's talk about Macs that won't shut down. Okay, and this was a two-parter, so I think I had an initial reply, and then, then you follow up, right? I you have that in front let, of you? Let, I, I will get it in front of me as you're reading, my friend. Right. Okay, so Darren wrote in and said, Hi, guys. I'm the Mac geek in our house, but I'm embarrassed to say I have a problem I can't fix. Don't be embarrassed. No. <laughs> Just don't say you, you know, wrote to us. <laughs> my wife's 2009 13-inch MacBook Pro will not shut down. What? Wow. First, we have startup problems. Then we have shutdown problems. Now, this one I like, though. If you choose shutdown from the Apple menu, it just restarts. Every single time, choosing restart causes it to restart as expected. The only way I found to shut it down is to press and hold the power button, which is not the right way to do it. Not advisable. That's right. Yeah. And that you're not doing a lot of cleanup. Uh, yeah, so, so definitely do not continue doing that because you will almost certainly uh, screw something up because the system is not doing what it wants to when it shuts down properly as far as writing things back to the disk and, and, and all that. Uh, I tried booting in safe mode and resetting the PRAM. Worth a shot in desperation. I have also reset the SMC as well as completely let the battery drain. It's annoying because AppleCare ran out three months ago. I've not reinstalled the system software yet, as I'm not 100% sure how to do it under Mountain Lion. I'd love some advice. All right. So I had some advice, and then you'll have the follow-up. So first, I'd like to eliminate an issue with the shutdown menu choice. If you press the power button or control eject. If you have both of those keys on your keyboard, you should get a dialogue with several choices. Restart, sleep, cancel, shutdown, with shutdown being the default. And I asked what happens if you do this, and you'll tell us in a moment, Dave. He tried that. Second, I'm right. curious what happens if you go to the terminal, which of course is in applications utilities terminal, and enter. And now you and I suggested different flavors of this. So I asked what happens if you enter sudo space shutdown space dash r, as in Reason. rabbit. Well, or or, <laughs> or, rest, or restart is how I remember it. But <laughs> yes. you know, rabbit works, sure. <laughs> because I think that's what it stands for. <laughs> Space, now, and see if the system reboots. Third, I would check the console, which of course is in applications, utilities, console, and see what is near a message similar to the ones that I pasted in. Uh, because what you will see in the console is when you're shutting down, you should see a shutdown process come up. In my case, it says shutdown, and then it says shutdown time and a big long number, which I think is the number of seconds since whenever. Yeah. 
So you should see that in the console. And then what I do is look, if it even gets to that point, to look around there and see what's preventing it from, from doing this. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that there's also another uh, console message that when you do a boot, so you may want to look around that as well, and it'll show boot log is the process, and it'll say boot underscore time and then another big old number. Uh, so, yep. so I'm wondering what was seen in the console. And so that is what I had to offer. And then I handed the baton, virtually handed the baton to you, or you grabbed it, Dave, and you ran with it. I, that's right. Well, I'm always running. I'm a maniac here. Um, so uh, I'm going to, well, I'm going to tell the story. So Darren uh, did your, your power button thing. And that, of course, brought down the, uh, you know, brought up the menu and choosing shutdown from that caused exactly the same response he was getting previously where it went through the shutdown and then immediately started back up. Um, doing the terminal command caused the restart, which is what we would have expected, right? Um, out of that. So thinking back on my, you know, when every time I issue that command, that sudo shutdown dash R now, I'm always really, really hesitant because sometimes I, I have to issue this command on remote machines, thing, machines that are very, very far away uh, at our server farm. And while we don't reboot them often, sometimes we do. But, you know, the shutdown command is scary when you don't have access to the power switch. Now, of course, we have admins on site at our co-location facility where we do. They do have access to the power switch, but that takes time. I always want to make sure the machine restarts. So I'm very, very careful not to type sudo shutdown dash H now, because the difference between dash R, which well, to you, John, is rabbit to me is restart dash H means halt to everyone. Uh, and if it doesn't mean halt to you, issue the command and see what happens. It will then mean halt to you because it's going to stop the machine. And if the machine supports it in hardware, turn itself off. If it doesn't support it in hardware, you can you'll come to the machine and see on the console. It's just sitting there saying system halted and it's waiting for you to switch the power off. So. I, I, I asked Darren to issue that command because with the dash H to see my, my thought is that there's something in um, power management or, you know, somewhere in the in the machine that has told it to start up all the time. And uh, and the trick is to clear that out. Now, he's done a lot of clearing out. He, the one thing he didn't check, and I don't know that this would appear there because the energy saver UI is a little weird, but in the energy saver, you can go in and uh, and set uh, a schedule for the machine to start up. Now, if there's something funky about that, then maybe it's just scheduled to start up all the time or the restart after a power failure thing may very well have been tripped. And I know that going through this kind of shutdown clears that thing. So he tried issuing the shutdown dash H now with sudo in front of it and it shut his machine down and it didn't turn back on. So this is good news. He then turned his machine back on manually because he wanted to use it. And went to get a console log. And he chose shutdown again uh, to get your console log for you, John. Just shut down from the Apple menu. And lo and behold, the Mac shut down. So my guess is that, yes, there was something. And it probably was that restart automatically after a power failure thing was in some state where it was just assuming that every time it shut down, it, it hadn't cleared that power failure bit. And uh, and doing the shutdown with the dash H uh, actually did clear that bit. And now everything is is uh, 
hunky dory, as we will, as we will say. So fun stuff. These are the, these are, you know, we, we like doing this kind of stuff. It's fun. Well, this is going on. I like this one because, you know, if you throw enough things, right. one of them will stick. Well, that, you know, I, I, I'm so glad you said that. I wasn't thinking about it from this way. That's totally the secret to uh, to my success whenever I'm troubleshooting a computer. And it's honestly why I've learned as much as I have. And I'm sure the same is true for you, John, and, and probably for many of our listeners. And I always used to attribute my success uh, in, in the consulting business to bullheaded persistence. I am just unwilling to give up. And, and like you said, John, if you just throw it now, I'm not, I'm not an idiot about it. I don't just, you know, do things randomly, at least not, not usually, but sometimes you kind of have to out of desperation. Right. But, uh, but trying something and, and trying to be intelligent about, okay, you know, I've tried this, this, and this, let's try that. Even if it seems crazy. And in this case, you know, why would, a shutdown from the terminal be any different than a shutdown from the Apple menu. Well, actually in reality, they're very, very different operations and you don't really want to do the shutdown from the terminal. If you don't have to, you want to do the Apple menu because it does some other things shut down from the terminal. doesn't let you quit apps. It just sort of, you know, takes the rug out from under things, but still does it in a relatively safe way, certainly relative to flipping the power switch. But yeah, that's it. You're right, John throw enough things bullheaded. Don't give up until it's solved. Which sometimes is a detriment, you know. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I get to solving a problem with the house, it's like, you know, six hours have gone by. It's like, you know, I, I could have paid somebody like, you know, 50 bucks to fix this and would have been a much more efficient use of my time. But sometimes that's not that's not the point, dear. You know, I got something awesome. I, I don't know if you got did, did you get a card from a, I fix it? Hmm. No, I don't believe I did. I don't know why I don't know why I'm on their 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 uh, holiday their list, but yeah. Uh, yeah, but I got a card and it had a, a thing of stickers in it. Uh, for those that don't know, I fix it is the place to go, in my opinion, for learning how to uh, both both take apart and reassemble your various Apple. Yeah, with the second devices. part being more important. <laughs> <laughs> and they also say and I've, I've also gotten some uh, t- uh, toolkits um, and parts from them. Yeah. In the past, I think the last thing I got from them was uh, the the uh, the. CMOS battery in my machine um, uh, died and uh, they, they were able to sell me a new one and tell me how to get at it. It's really buried. I think it's under the DVD drive. It's like, yeah, great place for that, guys. Good location. Yeah. <laughs> Could you put it anywhere more inconvenient? Um, but no, the, but they also sent a little uh, panel of stickers mm-hmm. and it has a whole bunch of stickers, Dave. Maybe I'll send you some. They say, I fixed it. So I'm just going to be running around town and and work in the home just putting little i fixed it stickers on things just to let people know you know what would be great <laughs> is if you help somebody solve like a personal problem that they were having <laughs> you just put it on their forehead <laughs> that's not good <laughs> sorry the caffeine is getting to me now Woo! um all right we had uh we talked about getting in in show 429 which was the last show as i mentioned earlier uh we talked about getting the system audio into QuickTime Recorder and Andy, who uh, who is a friend of mine locally here, listener to Matt Geekab, also a sound guy and has done sound for uh, various bands that I've been in many times. In fact, he was out last night helping us out a little bit. Uh, had this to say. Hey, guys, it's Andy from UNH. And I was listening to your discussion of how to get system audio into the QuickTime recorder. And 
I just wanted to suggest that you're making things massively more complicated than necessary. There are two super easy ways to do this. You got close to one of them when you were talking about going to an external mixer, but you really don't need an external mixer. All you need is a wire. You just need a stereo eighth inch to stereo eighth inch cable yep. from Radio Shack or wherever and connect the headphone out to the line in. Now, you're not going to hear the audio, but if you know what it's going to do, then it will just route it to where QuickTime can grab it. The other thing I wanted to say is that Soundflower has nothing to do with Audio Hijack Pro. It's actually made by another company, and I can't think of the name of it right now. Um, but in any case, you can get Soundflower without having Audio Hijack Pro. And you don't need Audio Hijack Pro to do this. All you do is set your system audio output to Soundflower. And then, again, set your QuickTime to listen to Soundflower. And you're all set. Again, you can't hear it, but here there's an easy solution. There's another app called Soundflower Bed, which is a little menu bar icon that lets you take whatever's going through Soundflower and send it someplace else. So you can send your system audio to Soundflower and then use Soundflower Bed to send whatever comes into Soundflower to your speakers. But at the same time, QuickTime can also listen to Soundflower in order to record. This is where you cut me off. Thanks, Andy. That's, uh, man, so brilliant. As soon as I heard this message come in, John, and, and he said, you guys made it more complex than it needed to be, I immediately knew where he was going to go. It's like, it's a freaking wire. That's all you need. It's brilliant. I love it. And and you're right. Soundflower has nothing to do with Audio Hijack Pro and you can get it and 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 there's no reason now not to get it from Cycling 74, which are the people that make it. And it is free. Um, there was a period of time when. The release of Soundflower from Cycling 74 did not work with the latest release of OS 10, but I, the folks at, at, at Rogue Amoeba had baked a version in with Audio Hijack Pro that did work with OS 10. They had taken the, the source code and done some modifications which they submitted to cycling 74, but they're, you know, they were out of sync on their releases. So at that point in time, I got into the habit of only using the copy of Soundflower that came with audio hijack pro. Cause that way I knew I was getting something that, you know, had been road tested uh, in the way that I knew I was going to need to use it. But, uh, but it seems like right now, anyway, the, the releases are consistent and there's no reason not to get it from, from either one. So, uh, so thanks, Andy. That's good stuff. <laughs> Great solution. Hey, John. So I know you like the terminal, right? I, I think you probably love it as much as I do. And uh, and when you're in the terminal and we've talked about this on the on the show before, we uh, I certainly appreciate using autocomplete. And, and by autocomplete, I mean, 
if you're typing a file name or even a path to a folder, you don't have to type out the whole thing. Like, for example, if you're going to your user's home, you know, if you're going to your home documents folder, you would have to type uh, from the terminal. You type CD space slash users with a capital U slash for me, Dave slash documents. But I don't want to type all that. So I type CD space slash U and then I hit tab and it fills out the rest of users because that's the only uh, folder that's named with a U. And then it leaves a slash and I type start typing Dave and I hit tab and it auto fills that. And I type like DOC so that it's not downloads, it's documents. I've made it unique. I hit tab and it auto fills documents. It's an awesome thing. And most terminal jockeys, as I will call us, um, use this because it just saves so much time and it, it limits the uh, ability of human error, the, the instance of human error, because you're you're not trying to type documents and fat fingering it or whatever. It's good stuff. Well, Daniel wrote in and said, you know, uh, in the last uh, couple of shows, we 428 and 429, we've talked about uh, how to get to the library folder on a um, on a uh, it was Robin's question that we answered twice in two weeks, how to get to the library folder on an external drive, even though it's hidden. And we talked about using the finders go go to folder option. Right. So go to the finder, go to the go menu and choose go to folder. What I never knew and what uh, what Dan pointed out is that you can do autocomplete right there. You can start typing, you know, slash V and hit tab and volumes will fill in. And then, you know, you go to uh, what, you know, whatever your hard disk name is. And I can't even remember my hard disk name on on this computer. And I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But um, but uh, it totally works fine. And uh, it's it's huh. just brilliant. I had no idea. I'm sure this has been here for, you know, iterations over iterations of OS 10. And, and I've never stumbled onto it. Nobody's ever told me about it. So I was so happy to read Dan's note. So and uh, and if you want to stay on the keyboard, of course, the finder shortcut for that is command shift G. And so you can just pull it right up and and, you know, keep your hands on the keyboard and slash and to tab. And you know, it's just like you're at the terminal. So. Dan's gift to us that we share with all of you. Thanks, Dan. It's good stuff. Did you have, have any idea where I assume it works for you, right, John? Oh, yeah, I just tried it. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, 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 that could save uh, seconds or, or minutes or hours. Hours of your life were just saved, John. I'm going to save yes. you. Uh, I, I'm going to share a tip that my wife found out about um, and shared with me. I'm a big fan of good reader on my iPhone and especially on my iPad. Because uh, I, a, I use it to watch movies. Like I said, I don't like to store my movies in iTunes. So I, I store them elsewhere and I just pump them into Goodreader. And that way I don't have to deal with messing with that. But I also use it um, to kind of archive off PDFs. It's just, you know, it's kind of a, a catch all media library for me. One really cool thing is she was looking up. Um, I think she was looking up some some knitting patterns and she's like, I want to be able to save these. And I said, OK, well copy the link and, and it from Safari and then go to Goodreader and you can load the link. And she's like, Oh, that's awesome. And the PDF saved in. And then like 20 minutes later, she said, I found a better way. You know how at the top of the, uh, in Safari, the top of the address bar starts with HTTP colon slash slash, or even HTTP TTPS colon slash slash. I said, yeah. She said, if you have Goodreader installed, go to the address bar and in front of the HTTP, put a G. So either it's going to either say G HTTP colon or G HTTPS colon. 
hit a G, hit go. That automatically sends the URL to Goodreader. It pulls it in, it downloads it, you're done. So it's awesome. So yet another reason to uh, to use Goodreader, which I totally uh, am obsessed with and can't imagine not having on my uh, on my various. Really, it's I, I have it on my iPhone. I rarely use it on my iPhone, uh, but I really use it on my iPad. Uh, like I said, it's it's a good catch all for media stuff. I wind up reading PDF books in there sometimes. It's just. It's good stuff. So we share anything else, John, before I uh, see if the, see how cold the band is this morning. I think the sharing's over. The sharing is coming to an end. As uh, are many things. Well, one other thing is this year. This is it. That's We're right. Done. This is the final Mac geek Ab of 2012. So 2013, we started this show in 2005. We've been doing it over seven and a half years now. So 2013 will be our eighth year in uh, in Mac Geek Gabbing. It's pretty awesome, man. Mm. Pretty awesome. Hey, uh, I did want to talk about one thing, uh, and I'm I almost forgot because we were in a roll before, so I deferred this question. Dan, uh, sorry, Dan, we just talked about. Graham uh, wrote in and he said, did I miss receiving a premium gift of some sort? I thought uh, through the fall, you mentioned that these would be delivered in uh, late November or December. Just curious. Uh, Yeah. An update to all of you. You did not, Graham. We haven't sent anything out yet. We're delayed a bit um, due to what I believe is a bug in our tracking system. Um, All the data is there, but it's not automatically updating us. When one of you hits that $100 spend level, um, obviously we have all the data. We can manually go through and do it, but we want to make sure we obviously get this right. And Adam and I, to a degree, but mostly Adam, has been working with the vendor on getting this right. Uh, you know, it's the first time doing it this way, and we we don't want to screw it up. So we are, we are in an intentional, well, intentional now delay on sending these out just because we we got to make sure we get all of you we don't want to we don't want to miss people and and all of that so i'm hoping i think we're pretty close to a resolution on that and i'm hoping that within the next couple of weeks we'll be able to kind of free that up and and out things go but uh so the cutoff has not happened yet uh we will we will make that cutoff happen as soon as we are able to and and then uh and then start processing everything and and send your stuff so our apologies for the delay, but we want to get it right. And everything else right. with the system has been working so well that it's obviously a little frustrating, but we want to get it right. So. All right. Uh, so I can scratch that off the list, because if I don't scratch it off the list, then we talk about the question twice. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, that gets bad. All right. All of these great people have found ways to contact us, and it's not by accident. It's because we like to tell you how to contact us. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com is the email address you can use to send in, well, email, screenshots, video if you like, whatever you want. It comes to both John and I, and it's perfect. Yep, and to make sure you didn't mishear that, it's not feedback. It's feedback at MacGeekGab.com. That's right, feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Or if you are a premium subscriber, premium at MacGeekGab.com, and those do get prioritized there. Uh, you're helping us out by uh, helping us, well, helping us keep the lights on. That's a good thing. So uh, so we 
We prioritize those coming in, but we do try to answer everything. Um, I think lately we've been doing a pretty good job of getting through most everything that comes in uh, eventually, which is good because it's good. It's good material for the show too. We like to we like to share. Uh, if you want to call us, 206-666-GEEK, which is, John? 4335. 4335 it is. And you can also go to Facebook. Facebook.com slash MattGeekAb is our Facebook community with uh, several hundred, I believe, people. Yeah. We'd like to get that up to several thousand, so... Come join us. Thousand? Don't think small. Millions. That's right. That's right. Sorry. At least tens of thousands. <laughs> and there if, we'll uh, post notices. Uh, you know when the show notes go up. When uh, when we're having the session, uh, the uh, the the live stream. That's right. Uh, you can post questions there. Um. All right. So Facebook, the phone, the emails. Oh, and the twitters. Go. Of course, people are still using the Twitters. So, the podcast is Matt Geek Ab. I am John Efron. He is Dave Hamilton. The other he is Pilot Pete. And the publication is Mac Observer. And uh, I think you said this already, but MacGeekab.com slash stream is where we are for this. I believe next week, uh, John, you and I are doing the evening shift, the early evening shift, right? The 5 p.m. on... Uh, on Sunday shift, I'm pulling up Fantastical. Have you, I, you know, I meant to include this in Cool Stuff Found uh, when we were doing it earlier this month. Fantastical for iPhone came out in December. This is awesome. I had used it and tested it on my Mac, but and I liked it because it's got this cool little drop down. But the coolest part about it on the Mac is you can just type in uh, podcast with John at 5 p.m. on Sunday for two hours and boom. It, it builds the event for you. It's this whole natural language thing. And so they put it on the iPhone, or they made an iPhone app. It's it's beautiful. It's a, a glorious app. Uh, but it, it is more than just a little drop-down and calendar entry. You have all that stuff, and if your iPhone is capable, you can use voice dictation to do the same natural language kind of dictation thing. And instead of typing it, you can even say podcast with John at 5 p.m. on Friday or, or Sunday, as the case may be. But it's also a full-featured calendar app on the iPhone. I uh, It has become my go-to calendar. So... Uh, so Sunday, January 6th, I believe we are on for 5 p.m. And then on Tuesday the 8th, I head out to, uh, to uh, where do I head? Oh, Las Vegas for CES. I'll be there for a couple of days and then, and then we're back. So that was a long way of saying 5 p.m. next week. But it's good stuff. I do, I do love this, uh, this Fantastical. It just looks so good on the, uh, especially on the iPhone 5. It's, it's nice. Anyway. Uh, what else do we have here, John? Now I'm totally screwed up because I got off my game. I want to thank Mike. Are we good to go? Are, am I, uh, I wanted to thank Michael Johnston because he's the one that can converts this to AAC for us and for all of you. Is there anything else to go through, John, before we, uh, before we put this one in the can, as it were? No. Uh, no. Happy New Year for people that observe. Uh, uh, what's our calendar called? The, the Gregorian calendar. Gregorian. Okay. Right? Yeah. Isn't that if right? If you're in it, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So if you're into that system, uh, time is running out. Well, until it starts again. Yeah. 
That's right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, we'll thank Cashfly Hosting because they provide the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. The podcast marketplace includes, of course, BB Edit from Barebones Software, Disc Label from Smile, Gazelle to sell all your stuff back to, all your electronics, your iPods, your iPhones, all the stuff that you replaced with the uh, new stuff you got for Christmas or whatever holiday in the winter you choose to celebrate. Crash Plan, of course, for all your backups. As my good friend said, Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year, John. And uh, looking forward to yet another year of Mac geek gabbing with all of you. Thank you so much for this great year and, this, in fact, this great seven years. So, Happy New Year. And, of course, don't get caught. Yeah. Made up.